0: You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin.
1: My guest on today's episode of Talking Taiwan is Valerie So, an Asian-American studies professor at San Francisco State and filmmaker. I'll be speaking with her about her documentary film, Love Boat Taiwan. The Love Boat is a nickname for a language study program sponsored by the government of Taiwan. If you're a child of the 70s, you might recognize a reference to the TV show. Love, exciting and new. Come aboard, we're expecting you. The love Soon we'll be making another run. Welcome to the podcast, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you for, ha- for having me. Great. So um, you are an Asian American studies professor and a filmmaker. Um, which of these came first? And I'm wondering, like, how do you integrate those two things? Well, the filmmaking probably
0: came first. Um, the, being a professor, I originally started out being just a part-time uh, lecturer at various schools to support, you know, my creative process habit, I guess you would say, <laughs> practice. And um, that was a long time ago. It was probably back in the, you know, early 90s. And so I taught part-time and then I was eventually hired full-time at San Francisco State in Asian American Studies
1: 2007 um and so for our listeners who may not know could you tell them what the love boat program is
0: sure well the love boat program is a pro a program that happens or happened in the summer it still kind of happens a little bit but it definitely happened in the summer uh, in taiwan it was sponsored by the government of taiwan and it was or um designed to bring second generation Taiwanese Americans and Chinese Americans back to Taiwan for six weeks. So it was for people who were born outside of Taiwan or Taipei, both outside of Taiwan or China. So, you know, people whose parents or grandparents had immigrated mostly to North America. And that was sort of the basic idea. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. But what
0: what it turned into was something really, very different. It was supposed to be, you know, cultural exchange programs. You would learn about your history and your culture and you learn a little bit of mandarin and uh, tour taiwan and just get a background in what made taiwan you know a great country (laughs) but um at the height of the program about 1200 students went college-age students for six weeks and so you can imagine that um six weeks away from home 1200 people uh, it, it became the kind of the classic summer camp um, experience.
1: Right, right, right. Like a rite of passage. Oh. <laughs> the name Love Boat is actually a nickname. That's not the actual name of the program, right?
0: Um, I was told that uh, it was named in honor of the television show Love Boat. And yes. um, it's partially, well, it's you know, it's because the, the TV show was on in the 70s and the program started around the 70, 60s and 70s. And then it became very popular in the 80s and 90s. And so even though the title of the, the official title was something really long and something like when I went, it was called the Overseas Youth Language and Study Tour to the Republic of China. But of course, that was much too long. So some people would call it just study tour. Mm-hmm. but after a lot of uh, the program started to get a reputation as being a great place to find a summer romance, that's when uh, it got the nickname Love Boat.
1: Oh, yes, and actually I wanted to rewind a little bit to the first question mm-hmm. about like how, how do you integrate those two things of being an Asian American studies professor, and how do those mm-hmm. things work? Uh, do they work together, yeah. or are they separate, or how do they, they integrate Sometimes it works together and sometimes it's separate. So, for instance, when I, shoot,
0: when I was working on the film, I, I only could shoot, you know, during winter break and summer break and spring break and so forth. So, and then during the rest of the year, I'm teaching, so I don't get to really work year round on the project. Um, at the same time, um, San Francisco State is, has, you know, research grants. And so I was able to get a little bit of um, funding help for the program, for the project.
1: And uh, so that was super
0: helpful, I think. Yeah. I got a few of them, yeah. Uh,
1: What was it that made you think that it would be a good idea to do a documentary about the Love of program? (laughs) I have been interested in making
0: a documentary since the late 90s. I went on the program in the early 1980s. -hmm. And between the time I went on the program and when I started thinking about it, the program grew and grew and grew. It probably doubled in size from when I went. And so I just thought, wow, there's this is this amazing cultural phenomenon. So many um, Chinese Americans and Taiwanese Americans are going on this program every summer. You know, like people talk about it all the time. It became like very, uh, very significant um, uh, uh, cultural thing to do when you were in college. And um, but the other thing that was interesting to me was that outside of the Chinese American or Chinese American or Taiwanese American community, Mm -hmm. it was almost invisible. So it's kind of this interesting um, duality. In one way, there was, it was a program that was really widely known among a certain group of people, but Mm -hmm. then outside of that group of people, it was not known at all. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you were Asian American, you might have heard of it. Like if you're Filipino or Korean Uh or something, Uh like you might have some friends who were Chinese or Taiwanese, but yeah, but if you were Chinese or Taiwanese American, you definitely knew about this program. Like right every year it would be like who's going on Love Boat this year you know <laughs> my cousin's going my sister's going my brother's going I'm going you know and I, it was funny because at some point I want to say maybe like at the nineties it was so popular that some people decided they didn't want to go because it was so it was like they were too cool. They were too oh.
1: <laughs> Like, I don't want to go on
0: a love boat. Who goes on a love
1: boat?
0: <laughs> so that's when you knew that it was, like, a, a really popular thing when people actually started to decide they didn't want to go on it.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Um. So yeah, so they're obviously targeting like overseas Chinese. And like. do you know, how did how did you get enrolled in like, um, is your family from Taiwan? And what percentage of the attendees would you say are, were actually from Taiwan or had some kind no. of connection? from Taiwan? Well,
0: you know, when I went in the early 80s, um, I, my family's not from Taiwan. My family's Chinese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but back in, you know, before when the KMT, the Kuomintang was still in power, mm-hmm. They thought that all people in Taiwan were really China, Chinese, right? Right. And they really felt, so they defined overseas Chinese as just being, you know, part of, they, they belong in Taiwan too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's why I got to go, because I was Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, I think later on, maybe like in the 90s or so, there was more of a focus on Taiwanese Americans mm-hmm. going. But even then, I think still Chinese Americans would go. Right. But I think people started to also think of themselves as being Taiwanese at that mm-hmm. point. Mm -hmm. so whereas maybe in the past people had thought of themselves as being more Chinese in -hmm. the U.S. especially
1: so how did the program evolve over time because it started in what in 67 you said 66 67
0: yeah I think the very very first (coughs) trip was maybe in 66 but that was only a handful of kids maybe like 15 or 20 kids I want to say maybe the um the official program that we say in the film is 1967 is when it started Mm -hmm. um so you know it's around then But, um, you know, when it started out, I went 60s and 70s and even through the the mid 80s, pretty much up until martial law ended, right? Mm -hmm. It was really about um, learning about a lot about the politics of the Republic of China, as they called it, um, and how, um, in some ways, how the Taiwanese government and army were going to retake China, the mainland. And that was to, for us, when I went in the 80s, that was definitely a point, like a lot of political indoctrination. Mm-hmm. I would say after, uh, you know, after um, martial law ended, then there was more focus on Taiwan as, as the trip as being more about culture, right? And education and not quite so much about like this really heavy political indoctrination. So some of the people I talked to later on who went in the 90s and later, you know, said we really didn't learn a lot about the politics. Mm. whereas when I went in the 80s there was definitely a political mm. focus oh, like yes. talking about how pre-martial law yeah and how you know the PRC
1: was really like wrong and bad mm-hmm. <laughs> I and mean, they really wanted
0: us to think that
1: mm. so yeah interesting yeah in my family I wasn't uh, we were not allowed to go because they saw it as Kuomintang propaganda so
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a whole other side of the story too, right? I mean, if Mm -hmm. your family was more on the, you know, on the green side, then you're not going to want to do, yeah, to listen to the the KMT and what they have to say. So Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that once the DPP came in, it became, you know, like I said, a lot less politicized in that way. Although it was still primarily run by uh, the China Youth Corps, the CYC. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I think, what is the actual name in Chinese? Something like anti-communist youth <laughs> organization or something, right? Wow. I can't, I can't say it in Chinese because yes, my is very yes, bad. Yes. But, yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, so yeah. that focus became a little less in after, mm-hmm. after the end of the commercial law. But people were generally really helpful in the research and finding photos and finding clips and so forth. A lot of people really wanted to figure out what happened to this program and to find out more about it. So they were more than happy to, to help me out.
1: What was the itinerary like? Or, I mean, can you even say what the itinerary is like? Because I'm sure it changed a lot over the years, like the, the 60s to the 90s. Um, when I went or, uh, or now? Um, maybe you could compare, like, what it was like sure. at the height. What was the itinerary at the height and what is it mm-hmm. now with the three-week program?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, back in the, in the sort of the peak period, you know, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, it was always held at Jamton mm-hmm. in Taipei. And then there were satellite campuses at a couple other places. One was what was called Ocean Campus, which I'm, you know, it was maybe like an hour drive from Taipei. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
0: and so, you know, six, six to eight hundred people on one campus and then another maybe four hundred people, two to four hundred people at this other campus. Um, and then so in the morning, we would usually have lessons. We would have these Mandarin lessons that some people were very good at and some people were not. Uh, I didn't know any mandarin so I was in the bottom class and I you know I vaguely remember yeah. some phrases but right no way you can learn mandarin in six weeks
1: you know, for an hour, <laughs> okay. uh,
0: but you know there's still some things I know how to say like I don't I know how to say how much is it
1: <laughs> <laughs> very important
0: <laughs> very important <laughs> thank you I'm sorry I got kind of stuff um so mandarin lessons and then you'd have like a, another cultural class in the morning like uh paper folding or brush painting or you know martial arts or something like that and then you'd get lunch. And then in the afternoon, they, there would always be the a big tours, bus tours. So we'd get in big limo buses and go tour around Taipei. Now it happened for, I want to say, it varied for, from year to year. But I believe ours was like a month of that and then two weeks of just touring around the island. Wow. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we'd stay in these various CYC youth um, hostels. Mm-hmm. They were great. So we went all the way down to Kanding. So we were, you know, and then up the East Coast. So we were really just going around the whole island, you know, all the way to Hualien and so forth. So it was great. It was amazing how much of the country we got to see. And they treated us, you know, really well. They were riding these great buses. It was like food and drink, uh, you know. <laughs> and then, of course, at night, all the kids would sneak out and go to nightclubs in Taipei. So they had a lot of fun <laughs> or go to the night market or whatever they wanted to do. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, and the program in 2016 that you observed that was like... So um,
0: 2016, smaller. Yeah, so the one I saw in 2016 was not in Taipei. It was in Taichung, and it was at a university in Taichung, and they were the primary organizers. Uh, for some reason, there were no Americans on that trip. There were only kids from Canada, and also there were some, a lot of kids from Indonesia, South Korea, Malaysia, you know, they were all like children of Taiwanese expats mm. living in other parts of Asia, mm. as well as these Canadian kids, uh-huh. uh, but no one, nobody from the U.S., strangely yeah. enough. And then so they stayed in Taichung for like a few days and then they just got on the buses and toured around. So the whole part about learning Mandarin and doing like extensive um, cultural classes, you know, was really not a part of this trip. I don't think that they went to as many of the, the sites that we saw, you know, they probably went to Ka Shek Memorial and they probably went to like the National Palace Museum, but it wasn't like every day for, for a month they were going to, to these sites because the program itself was only three weeks. Um, but they you know, they did go down South and uh, went to Tainan and so forth. I, well, I don't know if they went all the way to Kunming or Dao
1: mm.
0: mm. Yeah. But it was, you know, it just, it was just much shorter, much yeah, shorter.
1: Sure. Yeah. i'm actually just curious um thinking about i wonder like if you have any idea how like the locals like perceived you because um you know there's this (laughs) you know annual tour of like overseas chinese you know being like bust around the the island and all that i'm actually wondering what the locals perception of uh the local program participants was
0: that's a, that's a really good question. So we did um, talk to, well, besides the counselors who worked on the program, I mean, we, we tried to talk to some other people who were just like bystanders, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, who had some contact with the love book kids. So we interviewed some people from the night market, from Shilin. And they remember like these hordes of kids coming <laughs> and spending a huge amount of money because, of course, that was great, right? Because Shilin is right next to Chintan. Um, and then we also talked to a couple club promoters. Oh. Um, who pretty much like would one guy pretty much made like all of his income in the summer was on these kids. So he would arrange at a club for, uh, you know, to set up like a day, a night, a love boat night, like probably on an off night, like a Wednesday or something. Mm-hmm. Then he would pass out flyers at the love boat at Genton <laughs> and give everybody flyers that said, bring this flyer, show your ID, your love boat ID. And then you can get in for free. And then, you know, you just have to pay for drinks. Mm-hmm. So he would get some cut of the income from the drinks mm-hmm. that the bar, you know, so it was a great mm-hmm. arrangement. Everybody was happy. The club was happy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the organizer was happy. The kids were happy because they had some place to go and they all went in a group. So it was like, mm-hmm. you know, 300 kids would go to this club from Love Boat together right. and hang out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, occasionally I think they would go to other clubs where like local folks, were, folk but sure. for the most part they stuck together by themselves. Um, but I did also just sort of casually talk to other people who remember the, the, you know, the love boat kids coming through Taipei and just, they'd be like every summer. It's like, oh yeah, those ABCs are coming.
1: (laughs) So what did people like, did, what did, what what were people's perceptions? Like these bystanders, people in their market, like, was there some like general perception or of them or like, what was, what were their comments? What I've read
0: and what I've like heard from people is that, you know, some people were just like, Oh, we're happy because they're spending a lot of money. But some people were like, Oh, they're so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> and so demanding mm. and they, you know, they get in fights and drink. So, I mean, I think it was a range, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that there was definitely a consciousness during that time that there were these this group of kids, especially if you were living in the neighborhood where it was happening, right? Yeah. People were like, some faraway neighborhood. Probably it wouldn't affect you as much. Mm-hmm. Or if you were living, where, but if you were living in a, a neighborhood that was closer, or if you were living near a club,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> or near Snake Alley, right? <laughs> then you would definitely see these kids. But right, uh, right. but you know, I mean, their their movement was pretty restricted. It wasn't like they went all over town,
1: right?
0: Right. They they, they, they mostly focused on going out at night and going to parties and going out to drinking and having going to restaurants,
1: <laughs> so, right? Yeah. Um, who who else did you interview um, as a part of your research for the film
0: Um, you know there was a a professor a scholar in Indiana named Ellen D. Wu Mm -hmm. who wrote her master's thesis on Love Boat she went on the trip when she was in college and then she wrote her master's thesis in the late 90s about it and so she gave me a lot of leads about people I should talk to, including one of the people who ended up being in the film, uh, Pierre mm-hmm. Wu, the guy from mm-hmm. Ohio. Mm-hmm. And he was really great because he also had a big email list of people who had gone on alumni reunion trips that he organized in the 90s. So he was a really a great resource. Um, and then there was another person who was like the person who, like, who keeps track of the Wikipedia page. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so he also was very helpful in hooking me up with a lot of different people uh ben shear mm. yeah he's in Toronto, and he's mm-hmm. the person who gave me the lead on Victor Wong, who mm-hmm. was the older guy who went on the very first trip. Oh, his wow. father was actually one of the organizers of the trip, who was oh, the guy wow. who was like the editor of one of the um the yeah the newspapers that the nationalists founded in outside of um, Taiwan to keep track of each other. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, he was in Toronto. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just all word of mouth.
1: Right. right like right. that. And you did speak to some uh, government officials or people who were the organizers of the program. Did you? Yeah. Well, that'd be did. interesting to hear what they have to say. Like, what, um, did you talk, ask them about, like, what was the purpose behind the program and, uh, and what did they say?
0: Yeah. There's one woman in there, Dr. John Lee. Who is was the head of the China Youth Corps for many years, and she is she's in the film. She's an older person, and she talks about how you know the official purpose of the program was to foster friendship
1: and to learn mm-hmm. for people
0: to learn about mm-hmm. their culture. It mm-hmm. wasn't about finding romance, <laughs> and so that's the that's the official party line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Um, and the alumni. Um- Meetings are those like just uh, unofficial like uh, gatherings or reunions that the p- former participants put together, or is there something formally that like the Leopoldo genton program does for alumni?
0: No, I don't think it was any had anything to do with the official government yeah. at all. It was yeah it was alumni who would, they would do things like they would go on ski trips, you know, oh. or they would have like um, yeah big rest like meals somewhere. Mm-hmm. They would have a party, and yeah. so I think they went on for several years. And, you know, the interesting thing about that is it was all pre-internet and pre-social media. Mm-hmm. So you just figure, I think um, someone was saying, it might have been Pierre who was saying, you know, he just remembers addressing like 500 envelopes by hand and putting stamps on them and mailing them out. Wow. So you can imagine it took a lot of effort to do this. Yeah. So they were yeah. definitely um, really motivated to stay in touch with each other. And a lot of people, that's the other thing too, is a lot of people really did stay in touch with each other for a long time, like in, even up until now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I myself as much, but I mean, I did talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not only the people who just, you know, who got married, but also just people who became very good friends mm-hmm. and stayed in touch with each other.
1: And when you talk yeah. to the um, officials or organizers, like did you touch upon the reputation that Love Boat had, these – Kids going clubbing and drinking, and I mean, I'm sure there are some pretty mm-hmm. wild stories. Like, um, did you ask them about that? What did they think of that? Did they oh, yeah. crack down on it? Um, you know, I
0: mean, I think that they really tried to keep things under control as best they could because uh, there are liability issues, of course. So, um, but that's a lot of kids to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. So, And um, yeah, but I mean, I mean, yes, they definitely did the counselors also who worked there told me they really were taught, you know, told that the students would try to get out at night, like sneak out. And it was really important to try to keep them from sneaking out. Um, But whether or not they were able to do that, uh, you know, well, yeah, because I mean, a lot of the,
1: (laughs) a lot of the counselors, uh, well, not a lot, I'm sure I know that some of them were actually former participants, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. So they're probably quite close in age to the participants. So I just wonder how much yeah. policing there was really going on.
0: I think that was something that someone said to me: is they were really close in age. You know, they yeah. were college students, yeah. and um, but at the same time, they really the, the counselors really felt like this was a great honor to be mm-hmm. picked for this program mm-hmm. because you had to be like fluent in English. You know, you had to be mm-hmm. really organized. So a lot, it was very competitive to be a counselor. And so, um, you know, they really picked like the the top people who were like the top of their class and also who were very outgoing and and responsible, you know, so it was really an important job. Hmm. And I know that the counselors themselves felt like that they were representatives of Taiwan. And so they wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure they put their best face Mm -hmm. forward as Mm -hmm. far as being like government, you know, the like the face of the country. So they, uh, you know, especially in the earlier, you know, in the 90s and the peak days, they really, really were conscious of how they reflected on Taiwan.
1: Mm-hmm. So they had like a whole application process and selection process for these counselors.
0: Yeah, yes, I think they did. I, they had
1: to definitely had to go through an interview
0: process. And they probably had like, you know, submit something like a resume or a CV. Yeah, be bilingual. Yeah, definitely had to be bilingual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know in the very early days, they a lot of them were kids of KMT officials. So then uh-huh. they also had the party loyalty sure. too, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was super important back in the right. day
1: right yeah yeah so what were some of the craziest stories that you heard like <laughs> that, that happened uh Lafayette. i'm sure you heard some of those uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people were pretty, um,
0: they didn't always want to talk about like the, the crazy things, but I mean, they definitely did relate. And then this is in the film, uh, talking a lot about, you know, people go, jumping over the wall and like breaking their leg trying to sneak out the clubs or climbing over the roof. <laughs> what
1: wall was that? Yeah. <laughs> um, there was were several the wall walls. wall of the residency there, the dormitories? <laughs> yes.
0: At Genton, there was sort yeah. of like a very low wall <laughs> that surrounded the whole property. <laughs> and so that one of the, you know, they showed me various escape routes. So one was actually just <laughs> over this little tiny gate that was only like four feet high. Mm-hmm. And then another one was through like a hole in the wall somewhere. And then there was another <laughs> one that you would have to climb over a wall and it would land. You know, so there were different <laughs> ways to escape. Right. Lots of different ways to escape. <laughs> 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 they all yeah they knew about them
1: that's pretty funny what do you what would you say was one of the most surprising things that you learned in your research and making the film
0: you know i mean for me it was really interesting how much people really were still like how much impact this program had on people and how they were still really invested in talking about the program hmm um, you know, like I said, you know, Pierre, who had this huge email list, the guy who does the Wikipedia page, you know, a whole bunch. Of, there was other people yeah, who had really like dedicated. all of their stuff. Yeah. They, a lot of people, even now when people come to the screenings, uh-huh. you know, if they're alumni, they'll bring like their yearbook from that year wow. and just bend my ear about all their experiences. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was definitely, I think, a really formative moment for a lot of people in their lives. Because you figure, you know, you're like 19 or 20 and you go over there and you, you maybe have gone away to college, but you haven't had a lot of outside experience in your mm-hmm. life. And some people went as young as like 16 or 17. Oh, wow. So they were really young. Yeah. And there was a, a sub program called the, the baby boat or the tugboat where it was actually literally oh, with really? high school kids. Yeah, they kept I hadn't heard about that. That's funny. Baby boat. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, like I said, this program was giant. It was so big baby boat yeah but anyway so yeah yeah you could be really young and it would be like the first time away from home and so you just run wild yeah (laughs) and then you remember it as being like this wonderful thing
1: right and so what were typically some of the rites of passage that happen um and like things that the kids like i think a lot of people did mention going to snake alley (laughs) Mm -hmm. and drinking
0: snake blood or whatever it is or venom what is it blood or venom both right I think it's both it's disgusting yeah whatever.
1: so Snake Alley is like in one of the night markets in Taipei. yeah and then you yeah, get yeah. to drink the snake's blood yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Uh-huh. I, I luckily I skipped that part <laughs> 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 I know a lot of people did that um yeah. <laughs> I think um yeah going to clubs um but even just regular stuff too you know during the day just going to the going down to uh, traveling around uh, the island was really yeah. exciting for people I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm is really, I mean, Taiwan is really pretty. It's really gorgeous. So I think that was fun too, just to get out of the city and to see the rest of the island. It was really nice for folks. Right. right. Um, um, and I think also people mentioned just meeting so many, a lot of yes. people were from parts of the, of the, of North America where there weren't a lot of other Asian Americans. So to right. all of a sudden being in this huge group of people, they're all Asian American was very fun for, yeah, it's
1: a new experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was a, I'm from California, so it uh-huh. wasn't like, okay. like that big of a deal, but it was still pretty fun. Mm-hmm.
1: It's still pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: And then, of course, just being in Taiwan where everybody's yeah. Asian, right? Yeah. Like, wow.
1: Yeah. So, wow. yeah. So how long did it take you to make the film?
0: Well, I started thinking about it, like I said, in the 90s, mm-hmm. and then I had a couple kids <laughs> ah. in the early 2000s, yes. so I stopped working on it for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. and then around I want to say 2013 I started to work on it more actively again and doing research and so forth so what's that like six six seven five six years yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: um what was what would you say was uh so about seven years what was the biggest challenge that you came across in film? maybe six film? <laughs> uh, okay all right yes it's yes.
0: yeah.
1: yeah um, it's only early 2020
0: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was done last year so
1: right
0: uh, well, you know, I mean, I did have to do a couple crowdfunding campaigns. I actually did three crowdfunding oh, campaigns really? to raise money. Yeah. Even though I did get, um, you know, grants from SF State and mm-hmm. a few of them, I like got a Fulbright.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
0: it, you know, making movies is really expensive. Yes. And so um, now, the, in some ways, the best way for a lot of indie filmmakers to raise money is through crowdfunding. Right. So I right. did two of them. Two of them on Indiegogo that were month-long quick campaigns and you know like 200 people contributed each time. And then at the very last bit of post-production when we were editing, I did a one week one on Facebook that was like for $5,000. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was a, lot, a lot of crowdfunding. Right, a lot right, of right.
1: crowdfunding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, and, but um, I'm, I'm happy that people were able to support it. So
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and um, what were some of the hurdles like seven is seven years a long time to get a film like this done so I don't I'm think sorry so. s- six years no <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so I want
0: to say that like most independent future documentaries take anywhere from like five five to eight years is the uh-huh. Average
1: uh-huh. because of because
0: there is so much money <laughs> to be raised right. and then you know some people really do more in-depth things where they literally follow their subject around for years and years mm. you know, I didn't yeah. do that that wasn't the type of film that I was making right but still it's it's yeah it's not like you have it's not like you have like one giant chunk of money and you just spend a full time working on yeah it. You know, like i said i right. had a job right yeah, yeah. i was working so i'm raising my family yeah. so yeah so it really is like a a, a whole nother like a second
1: job mm-hmm. right yeah um and can you talk a little bit about like how do you balance those personal things and like did you um have, you had to deal with some obstacles um Mm-hmm. towards the end? Well, you know, I also
0: was sick for a year. I had breast cancer for a year. Oh, so that wow. took a whole year off right after we done, I was done shooting up until post-production. So, you know, I
1: just took t- the whole year off. Oh, wow. But, so I, yeah. so you're, um, you have a clean bill, bill of health now? Yeah, that's what, that's what they say. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so, yeah. Okay. But mm-hmm.
0: one of the things that was really great was that when, um, you know, I was feeling better, I, then I started to work on the film again and it was a really great way to kind of get past being sick you know yeah. and it just like gave me something to think about and something to work on and then it was also nice because then i i was able to show the movie to all my friends and it was yeah. you know so it was a kind of a nice way to kind of get out of being sick and get back to regular life
1: oh my goodness that's that's tremendous i mean i can't even imagine how i deal with um, that already having like a family and kids and then you yeah, know breast cancer hopefully it was caught early yeah Yeah, I I hope so. I think so.
0: (laughs) But I think a lot of people do that. You know, they have like not necessarily that particular obstacle, but, you know, it it does take a long time.
1: But how do you get through that? I mean, like, because, you know, to be dealt with something like that and um, how long did that put you out? It was like a year. It was like a solid year. Mm -hmm.
0: I think you just have to be able to multitask, <laughs> and you know have a lot of help. I mean, I uh, like I said, I do teach at SS State, so I was really lucky mm-hmm. to have a lot of students mm-hmm. who help me. Yeah,
1: you know, they,
0: they would yeah. be like do independent study. Mm-hmm. Um, on the crowdfunding itself, I think I had like six students helping me out with that. So because crowdfunding takes a long time, yeah, it's really yeah.
1: intense. Yeah. So what would your advice be for anyone who wants to undertake making a documentary film? It sounds like a lot of work. Oh, Three crowdfunding campaigns, yeah. six years. Yeah.
0: I think you really it's really important to have a subject that you care a lot about because mm-hmm. you'll be spending a lot of time yeah. with that subject and right. that topic. Uh, most people you know like I said most independent producers do have to really feel committed to their project yeah they have to really yeah. want to do the project mm-hmm. so uh, you really do have to have a topic that you are interested in because you'll be living with that topic for a long time
1: right yeah it's yeah. a long haul yeah
0: and also get help from other people of course filmmaking is very collaborative so mm-hmm. just being mm-hmm. you know being able to find like a, what the, you know like a good team of people to work with
1: Right, right. So yeah. how does this film fit in with your work as Asian American studies professor? Like, um mm. does this um, relate to your research or any of your teaching or well, you know, this is my research. Um
0: luckily this counts as my research. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, but I do I teach Asian American film history. Oh, and so okay. it's really appropriate for that. Mm-hmm. And then I also teach a production class like how to make little short movies and a photography oh. class. So oh, stick together. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I made, you know, before I made, this is the first feature length film that I made, but I've made a lot of short films, since, right. you know, since right. I got out of school and all of, most of them have been, been about Asian American topics and trying to find interesting stories that are not necessarily in the ma- mainstream right. right? and to increase the visibility of Asian Americans in, you know, in film, in mm-hmm. media. So yeah, it all kind of ties together.
1: Right. And so what would you yeah. like people to take away from their film, from The Love Boat? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, it really kind of depends on people's perspectives.
0: But um, I think hopefully they'll have a a little bit more understanding of Taiwan Mm -hmm. and Taiwan's sort of unique political and cultural position that it's in. Mm -hmm. Um, And understand that there's a difference between Taiwan and China, right? Taiwan Mm -hmm. is Taiwan and China is China, Mm -hmm. as the Mm -hmm. president says. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just understand the complexities of the relationship between Taiwan and the U S and China. Cause right. I'm going to say, you know, I think all three of those things are part of this film. Yeah. All three of those countries.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. yeah. Um, what's been the reaction to this film? You did mention like the reaction of like um, some of the level alumni that come like uh, mm-hmm. with their yearbooks and all that. But what about people yeah. who've never heard of a love, a love boat or other people? What's the reaction you've been getting?
0: You know, I mean, I think people enjoy it because it reminds them of other things that they might have done in their youth. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times people will say, oh, I went on this program when I was in college, you know, another program that was similar to Love Boat and I spent like a month in Korea or I spent a month in uh, Israel or, uh, you know, Spain uh, or wherever. Yeah. And sometimes it's like where their family is from and sometimes it's just, just a trip away. Yeah. And so I think that that's um, a reaction that a lot of people have is understanding that it's a really like, kind of like a coming of age thing, mm-hmm. you know, where you finally find your, grow up, you find your, yourself growing up and becoming more independent.
1: Yeah. Right, right,
0: right. So that's kind of an interesting thing for people who are not, connected to Love Boat, to have them have that reaction. I think, you know, for me, it was also funny how Taiwan kind of, you know, that after they got kicked out of the UN, mm-hmm. was like 1972, 1971? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then the program also was used in that way to kind of raise awareness of Taiwan. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you still pay attention to us, you know, even though you threw us out of the UN, we're still here, we're still a country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's still something that Taiwan is trying to do, is just to get that recognition around the world and support around the world. You know, is, that, is, is that your theory,
1: country. or is that something that you uh, garnered from your research or talking to officials? That's something that I
0: thought from my research, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were definitely trying to make people more conscious of Taiwan mm-hmm. and Taiwan's position in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And instead cool. of doing it through, uh, through official diplomatic channels, you know, they directly re- re- reached out to young people in the U.S. and North America and around right. the world. Right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Hoping that those kids would grow up to be – Influential in some way,
1: and some of them have, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the people
0: yeah. in the movie is a congresswoman who went on the trip. Yeah, mm-hmm. congresswoman Chu, Judy Chu. Yeah, and she went when she was sixteen, and now she's in the Senate, and she, you know, talks, you know, the U.S. Congress, and she talks about she's on like the Taiwan caucus, and she really she's met with the president of Taiwan, uh-huh. so she's a she's a big advocate for Taiwan. That's great. That it, yeah, she says that it started her awareness started when she went on this trip
1: mm-hmm. when she was sixteen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow right and so um are you working on anything uh, new now or are you just working on promoting the film and is the film coming to new york we're in new york i don't think it's coming oh, to New York, right it showed in new york last summer oh already. it did
0: yeah at the asian american international film festival oh, I see. um yeah the closest it'll be uh to new york is D- it'll be in dc in april
1: uh-huh.
0: in washington dc that's not super close <laughs> um, but I would, you know, it would be great to come back to New York, sure, because uh, there's a, a few people in the movie who haven't seen it yet who are from New York, so they yeah. want to see it. Yeah. I'm
1: sure. You could talk to some uh, local taiwanese American groups and see if they could uh, co-host or sponsor it. Yeah, sure there'd be yeah, yeah. In that. yeah.
0: I think so, and that's what's starting to happen now. Is it started out playing mostly like film festivals, and now it's going around to like community groups and yeah. student groups, yeah. and so you yeah. know, it's got yeah. a, it's got an interesting yeah. little shelf life.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so what are you, you working? Yeah, sorry.
0: Oh, I'm not working on anything now. I'm just making, okay. the, uh, making the tour because it's been yeah, so exhausting yeah. making this film, I tell you. But I'm yeah, kind of enjoying yeah. it. You know, I'm trying to, like, savor. Like, <laughs> yeah, you should. You should. My goodness. Yeah. yeah, and just enjoy this. So, yeah, I was in Boston last week for, mm-hmm. um, I think there was, how many screenings? Through Four screenings in Boston. Wow. And then I'm going to Denver and Seattle this weekend. Wow. So I have, like, a couple days home, and then I'm leaving Great. again. Great. Yeah, and then I'll be in Chicago, you know, in the spring. So, yeah, the best, you know, the best way to find out is there's the website. So you can go and look up Love Boat Taiwan. Uh, also social media. It's all yeah. Love Boat Taiwan. Twitter, okay. sure, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah.
1: Great, great. And if people want to know about more about you or if you have any future projects, where can they find you?
0: Um, I have a Facebook page also. It's just Valerie So. I don't have a personal webpage. It's really terrible. I have a blog that I write about, oh, okay. you know culture and stuff it's called beyond okay and so you know there sometimes i write about love book but i write about other things anything that interests me a lot of movies music asian american film you know um
1: all kinds of stuff great okay yeah well thank you so much i appreciate you sharing all that and taking the time of your schedule to speak to us sure it was great thank you so much I've been speaking with Asian American studies professor and filmmaker Valerie So about her documentary film, Love Boat Taiwan. To learn more about the film, visit www.loveboat-taiwan.com. Special thanks to our sound engineer, Kaju, for lending his vocals. If you enjoyed Kaju's vocals and this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, and give us a review. Just remember... Love Won't hurt anymore. It's an open smile on a friendly shore. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin.
0: Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.